Welcome to Shit Talk Fridays, a podcast where we talk about all things lifestyle and relationships with a splash of controversy. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We are back. We are live. <laughs> we in this bitch. Estamos en vivo <laughs> for all our Latin listeners out there. I'm Gina, by the way. And I'm Evo. I would like to say I'm happy to be back. We were off a week because this bitch here was sick. He was going through it. Not COVID, but it might as well have been he was COVID. Going through it. That shit was that shit was kind of weird because you don't ever get sick like that. Never. And um, I mean, it was on the tail end of our daughter getting sick as yeah. well. Also, wasn't COVID. Yeah, your boy dodged the bullet though. I just you know, wanted to put that out there. You know, karma's a motherfucker. Nah, so I be, I be nah. careful. See, that is karma though. You know what I'm saying? See, I didn't get sick, so you got to wonder what really happened there. You know what I'm saying? Let me know. Just gonna okay. leave it at that. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm actually still a little congested. So if you're like, she sounded a little sick. It's, you know, I still got a little remnants of it. So we had to take a week off because I was out of commission. <clears throat> yeah. But we are back and I'm happy to be back. And uh, let's cheers. Evo's drinking the H2O today. Yes, I am. <laughs> Gina's I... welcoming her uh, her cold back with, uh, with some tequila. <laughs> Fuck it, why not? So I, I actually can't drink as I donated blood today. So yes. that's that. Um, so today we have a topic for you that Evo is excited to talk about. I am. I'm pretty excited about it. I, I'm not gonna lie. It's just yeah. you know something that I'm a little you know pretty passionate about. I can't say that I'm a professional at it, you know, by no means whatsoever, but um it's definitely something that I look into and I'm you know, data on a day to day basis. Yeah, so we are talking about market trends. Moreover, stock market trends yeah, and, and kind of like what's going on in the economy yeah, today. Okay. And, spe- and specifically this, the stock market trend that's going on right now. Currently, yeah. Yeah, currently. But uh, disclosure, Evo and I and are no way, shape, or form financial advisors. No. What The advice and information that we are giving you today is from two people that are just trying to figure it out like everybody else. Yeah, so, uh, you know, aside from, you know, whatever it is that we say um, about the stock market and whatever suggestions we may give throughout the show, uh, please do your own research. You know, don't never take the advice of just any person spitting out random information about financial advice because uh, ultimately the decision is yours to make, you know, mm-hmm. and you should back it with your own research for sure, 100%. Yeah, double, triple check it, right? Yeah, is absolutely. Like the way that absolutely. it works? Yeah. So let's get into what it is that you, Evo, are seeing in the market that is kind of giving you some alarm, if if not, right, if not yeah, that yeah. currently. Yeah, so... There's something very interesting right now, we, and I keep using that, that word, but it, it is super interesting to me right now about the stock market is that, so when you look at the stock market, you're, you're basically looking at a chart, mm-hmm. you know, graphs and bars going up and down. And the stock market over the history of, you know, so just as far back as you can think, you know, it goes up and down, up and down. It, you know, it has these bull runs where, you know, it's all up and to the right and people are making a ton of money and then something will happen in the economy and there'll be a correction where and a correction means that where the stock market sells off it dips Mm -hmm. and depending on the catalyst that makes it do that will determine how far it dips Mm. and those are called stock market crashes or stock market pullbacks depending on how big the correction is so but I find it interesting that it's called the correction considering that it's involving a crash but go ahead well so it's 
First, it's a correction, and then if it's a if it's a big enough correction, it's called a crash. I know, but the word correction is still in there. Yeah. It's like we gonna make it right by fucking it up. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 really checks and balances, you know. So, the stock market goes up because people are buying and putting money into the stock market for whichever source it's coming from, whether it's coming from retail or whether it's coming from big corporations or head funds or even the federal government, and it corrects when those people that are driving the stock market upwards decides they want to take some profits they they're in they're made they made a bunch of money now they want to sell that stuff off and so what it does is that it creates an opportunity for people that weren't able to get in on the low end of that of that that run mm-hmm. okay that you know that 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 period of time where the stock market was going upwards so it, it sells off the people who took the ride up make a bunch of money by selling a bunch of people get caught and that at that top because they're buying what's being sold but then yet you have this big dip and then people can come in again mm-hmm. at a low point mm-hmm. and buy and potentially ride it up again so the last crash that we had was in 2008 the housing market crash the housing mm-hmm. market bubble and we you know i i Support for Shit Talk Fridays is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in below-the-waist grooming and hygiene. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. I can't count the number of times I nicked myself using shitty-ass trimmers that literally left me anxious about grooming. Manscaped has skin-safe technology that has restored my faith when I groom below the waist. And did I mention the new 4.0 lawnmower has a 4K LED light, so you ain't missing shit. So head over to manscaped.com to get 20% off and free shipping with the code STFridays20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code STFridays20. Unlock the confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Now back to the show. I would like to say that we all know what that was like. I think I would think that most of us people have you know heard about it in one way or another whether we were affected by it or we just heard about it Mm -hmm. through friends in the news and after that the crash in 2009 the market stock market started making a recovery where started turning around from that crash and started making its way back up again now again stock markets go up because cash is being injected in Mm -hmm. so a lot of money was being put into the market and it went on a bull run where it goes up and to the right. And it did that pretty much up until 2022. Mm-hmm. There were some slight corrections, sell-offs. The biggest one of all was the COVID. It was the COVID crash. Mm-hmm. So, so we had the COVID dip, but then immediately we we had a huge correction and the market turned around and went back up. What, what allowed that correction to happen considering that during COVID... We were at a standstill for the most part of the year. Well, uh, I mean, we're referring to 2020. So for yeah. the most part, you know, initially the lockdown was supposed to be two weeks and it went on for several months. Yeah. So what made that correction occur? So um, emergency, emergency stimulus packages, mm. you know, where the federal government got the authorization to start to just start printing money. So if you think about it. In a time where businesses needed to close, people needed to stay home from work, people weren't working, un- unemployment was through the roof, the stock market is on fire. So 
you got to wonder where's the money coming from, right? Mm -hmm. The government, the federal government started buying $80 billion of treasuries and securities and another 80 billion, I'm sorry, another 40 billion of mortgage-backed securities. Now, these are just like complex items that you can buy in the stock market and they drive the stock market up. Mm-hmm. So that is the where how inflation starts. That's where the inflation of the whole stock market stock market started, which is kind of one of the problems that we have right now with the stock market. So you were saying that not to interrupt, but sure. you were saying that's how the inflation started, which basically it's this influx of money coming yeah. into the market during a time where the entire country was kind of like at a standstill. So like, yeah. you know, one plus one at that point wasn't equaling two. It seemed awkward. But how does that how does that um let me see how I'm trying to put this. How is that what how is what you're seeing now tie into what you have seen in the past, which is the market right. back in two thousand eight? Because I know you're trying to make that connection. Yes. So I'm just wondering how those two are connected. Right. So in 2008, we had a housing inflation, a mm-hmm. housing bubble, what they called it. And that happened by making loans easily available for everyday people. Banks were qualifying people that technically, in my opinion, should have never been qualified for home loans. Therefore, why wouldn't why wouldn't they have been potentially qualified? So orig- I'm just trying to understand, yeah, like, what, like yeah, why, why were they being given this loans if, in turn, they weren't qualified? So banks make money, and lenders they make money off of giving loans to people. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, they're giving loans to a, you know, a plus borrowers, a, a we'll call them a score top tier borrowers, people with high credit, people with high credit, people you know that have money and you know and so on and so forth. But at some point, you run out of these borrowers, and so the mortgage applications start running dry. Mm-hmm. Now they have to figure out a way to get more mortgage applications going. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? They lower the requirements for people to get approved for these loans, mm-hmm. and now start approving loans for B-score borrowers. And then once those applications start drying up, they start lowering it down to a C-score. They, you know, you before at at one point you needed a 780 credit score. I remember at some point in the 2008 mortgage crisis, you got approved with like a 560. Oh, you shit. can get a loan. Yeah. And then, you know, and then they and then the banks lowered the requirements even more where you didn't even have to show income to get a loan. All you had to do was state what you made. Just mm. tell them like, "Hey, I make 2 million dollars a year." Okay, can you put that on paper? Sure. No problem. You're going to pay a little bit more of an interest rate because you're higher risk, but they were still giving out loans. So that was the inflation into the housing market. So that is the connection we saw of inflation of money going into a market that shouldn't have been there. Whereas now we're seeing or it's currently happening where we're seeing this injection of money into the market that should potentially not be there, which is causing this inflation into the market to to be seen in a way that doesn't equate. Yes. So what happened in 2008 was that through some loophole, they started. They were able to open up the floodgates of the financial system into the housing market, injecting mm-hmm. all this money and creating a not true value of the actual housing market. Yeah, I remember around that time, you and I were somewhat looking at houses, and I remember the prices being... Yeah, well, I was doing mortgages at that time. 
Well, a little bit before that, you were doing before the the yeah, right before it. Yeah, yeah, it was right. It was like in two thousand and six, seven. It was that's when I was I was doing mortgages, mm-hmm. and I remember you know some of these mortgage applications that went through and like the loan programs that they had, and it was pretty it was pretty nuts, and so the connection that I'm seeing now is when we had the pandemic and the stimulus packages started rolling out and the federal government is putting billions and billions of dollars into the stock market, there is your injection. There is your influx of money mm-hmm. into something that otherwise wouldn't have that type of money coming into it. It's the catalyst, that what I would like, what I would call it. Yeah. Would you say also that during that time, in addition to the stimulus packages that people were receiving, the PPP, the PPP loans mm-hmm. were another catalyst? Sure, absolutely, yeah. And even more, would you say that because people were home, they had more time on their hands? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And had more time to potentially look at portfolio possibilities that yeah, they would I, never even consider? I think a lot of people, you, you know, there was people that, even the people that got the you know the twelve hundred dollar, excuse me, the stimulus check. I can't. I can imagine you know a lot of them taking that as an opportunity to invest into the, the stock market and put that money into the stock market to see if they can make it grow. If I'm not mistaken, I remember we reading once upon a time during that time that there was like. I think about. Don't quote me on this, but I want to say that there was like anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of the people that were receiving these stimulus checks were putting that into the stock market along yeah. with the PPP loans. Yeah. So there's all types of money that were that was being injected into the stock market by people, by the government, by companies. But the fact is that the federal government was supplying all this money in one way or another. You know, they were doing the PPP loans. They were doing the SBA loans. They were doing, you know, all that money was coming from the government. Mm -hmm. So what I find very interesting is that the, the way that the charts look in 2008, right? It was this upward trend of the stock market going up. And then right around the, the, the the crash you see the chart start to make a turn it like you know it, it kind of like draw you it's like it looks like a horizon and then it takes a downturn and it dips and then that's when the housing market crashed and that happened over the course of like a year where that where that market started to turn this is not something that can happen overnight i mean it it takes a lot of um buying and selling in the right way to turn a, a stock market's trend to a bear market, which that's what they call it when it goes through to a downtrend and it falls over a certain percentage and it stays down. It's called the bear market. And the, I call it a maneuver, right? Is that it was the maneuver that the chart made when it took that turn to go down into the, to the crash that if you compare the chart from 2008, when it did that maneuver and you compare it from 2009 till 2020, 2022 now mm-hmm. in January, 2022, is when our current market started to make it to the turn. It, it, that was when it reached its high of the year. So are you are you implying that these markets, or these charts rather, the similarities of the height is now almost identical? Yes. Well, yes, they're very similar. Okay. And so... Yeah, that's why I say almost identical because I yeah. don't want to say that they're like identical. Yeah. So, and one way to 
invest into the stock market is to analyze history mm -hmm. and to see how the stock market performed in certain years. And there's certain patterns that play out because getting I'm gonna get a little technical here, but you know, big institutions they have computers that do their trading, mm -hmm. algorithmic softwares that do their trading, and they're like you know. You're talking about super fast quantum computers. Mm -hmm. Now these these computers they run on programs. They're triggered by news news articles and lots of different things. Yeah. And so, um, they because they're programs, these programs have certain patterns to buy and sell. And so you can pick these patterns up. You can recognize them at some point if you if you know what you're looking for. Now, those algorithms were trading back in 2008, and of course, and they're trading now along with the retail traders. But what I find mind-blowing and shocking at the moment is that the chart setup is almost identical to the 2008 market crash. And we are on the, like, the, I don't even know how to describe it. So are we, like, part. almost at the top of the hill? So, we know we are beyond the top of the hill. We oh. are, yeah, we are on the, we are on the first leg, like, kind of like the downturn of the, of what looks like to be, and resembles almost identi identical to the 2008 crash. Um, I would just like to say, you know how my brain works. And as you're saying that, the one thing that I immediately think about is that game from The Price is Right with the guy that used to go up the hill, that used to go, yo, lay, he, who, and he'd get to, yeah. you know what I'm yeah, talking about? Kinda, like, that's what kinda, I'm imagining. Yeah, it's definitely kind of Even like though that. I will say, I have seen these charts, and it's a little hard to describe when there are people listening. Yeah. Uh, but I have seen these charts, yeah. and I, I know what it is that you are referring to. So right. if anyone is interested, I for sure can tell you that there's information out there that are making these comparisons. Yeah, I so I saw the comparison online, and then I went in on my own software and brought the two charts up and kind of made my own chart analysis just mm -hmm. so that I could really look at it, you know. With take, your own eyes. With my own eyes and kind of take a, like a deep dive into it. And I was able to see the... I was able to see how similar these charts were, and it, and it was pretty scary. And the thing is, you know, in two thousand and eight, there was it's basically negative news that crashes the stock market or that makes the stock go down. Mm -hmm. And currently, right now, we have so many things that are putting negative pressure on the stock market that it, such as such as this housing bubble that we're quote unquote in right now. Yeah. Uh, such as supply chain issues that we're having. Yeah. You know, so, and our, the inflation that the economy is going through right now, the war. And which is just on its tail end. It's, yeah. Which I, is, I would say it's, it's over Yes at this and point. no. I yeah, mean, I mean yes and no. There's, there's, there's still negotiations there, to happen. Not only but, is there negotiations, but we've, we've spoken about how there's a potential other war yeah, that, may be, that may be happening. So, and there's just, and these there's a there's are other things that are just kind of like looming in the background that could potentially set this thing to go overboard and these are the conditions that you need to send a market into the, another direction i mean it's just it's just downward pressure mm -hmm. and so when you add that with the two charts that look alike you know if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck I, you know to me it's a duck yeah and so I just thought it would be important to talk about that right now and to give our viewers some information on, you know, what potentially lies ahead. Um, what can what can someone do in a situation like this, if any? 
So you touched on something that is of great interest to me that I want to like that like talk a little bit more about. Okay. The housing bubble that we're that we're in right now. So I find it interesting that on both ends of the spectrum there was a housing aspect to both. Yeah. Where in two thousand and eight it was this basically injection of money into the market from banks that were being loaned to borrowers to borrowers that should have not been there but now it's a it's a different it's a different aspect as far as how the housing market right now is happening somewhat because yeah, there's still a bank aspect to it it's still it's there is there's still a little bit of what happened in 2008 but you're correct there is yeah. a there is a whole new aspect of what's going on with the housing market so back when we had um the the covid lockdowns the federal government or the federal reserve dropped the interest rates to zero mm -hmm. basically allowing the federal government to borrow money for nothing mm -hmm. and so the federal government starts injecting that money into the economy a lot of it is going to people to buy numerous things at the same time for, for some reason um, I guess, and this is a, this is just a theory of mine. I don't. This is not a fact that I know of. But it, I, I, what I do know is that what I'm about to say, it did happen. Mm -hmm. My theory is as to why it happened. Okay. So something that didn't exist before exists now, and that is the housing market has become a an asset class. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by an asset class, it mean it's like something that big institutions and hedge funds invest in. Yeah, you know they acquire, and not only do they acquire it. When a hedge fund acquires something, they hold it for a very, very, very long time, and they have been investing into the housing market. Yeah, so this is causing a a huge ripple effect because it's affecting the housing market and it's also affecting renters yeah. because they're also buying properties that are are initially being used by renters. And now that the moratorium is over, mm -hmm. these renters that are now potentially living in, in rented spaces that are now owned by some of these hedge, f um, hedge firms and hedge funds. Uh, hedge funds. Yeah. And s in addition to that, there's other companies that are separate from hedge funds that are also buying properties. Yeah. And now they're raising the rents like two, three, four times more than what someone would average pay for the space that they were already living in. I can't tell you how many times I've seen, I know you yourself mm -hmm. have seen people on social talking about that their rent was 1600 and now they just got their, yeah. you know, they got their lease their excuse me, they got their lease renewed and they're looking at increases of anywhere from 800 to like a thousand dollars. Yeah. Easy, easy. Um, the crazy thing is, is that, and I'm sorry, but these these hedge for, these hedge funds don't give a fuck. Uh, not really. No, I mean they're 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 there to make a profit. And but so, how ahead. could how could they make a profit if people can't afford to live there? W wouldn't that be wouldn't that defeat the purpose? Or are they looking to remove those people and put in people that are willing to pay that price? Because the only market that I can look at and make sense of right now is where we live in in the tri-state area. Mm -hmm. So think about all of the people that left New York City during the pandemic. That's another reason why we're experiencing such a housing, you know, like a, 
uh, an inventory issue as far as how many properties are available. So many people are leaving cities to go to more suburb areas and they were leaving rental properties and um, spaces that were they were paying a lot more money than what they would have been, would have been paying when they go a little further out. Yeah, for a mortgage, they were yeah. paying. You know, they would get much a lot more for their money if they just move a little further out and and buy a house. But I just find it interesting that they're raising the rents this much and house prices at the same time. Right. So what you what you have? How can people afford this? It's you know it's that's a great question. How can people afford it? And a lot of people can't. So then so, what? So then what happens? Uh because like honestly you so what, what here's what here's what can happen okay another housing market crash and i think that that's what i was getting at i yeah. find it so interesting that even though this potential crash or this potential recession that you see looming based on these characteristics in both of these charts the fact that it's still somewhat tied to housing yeah, it's definitely. I find that a catalyst. so. Yeah, it's definitely a catalyst. It's not the only component. Where in yeah. two thousand eight, that was like the primary that component. That was it. Yeah, that was it. You know, you have so you have <laughs> funny, right? You have at one point, Zillow was accused of buying houses, mm -hmm. buying lots of houses, and they were accused of trying to manipulate the market. So. What they were doing is that they were they would buy they would buy a bunch of houses for let's say the house was selling for um let's say the house was selling for three fifty mm -hmm. so they would buy it they would buy it for three fifty and then it, maybe they bought like and I'm using random numbers here I don't know the exact numbers so just you know don't don't quote me on these numbers mm -hmm. but let's just say they bought a hundred houses in an area all right now they have the ability to manipulate the value and the comps in that area. Mm. So they have a hundred houses that they bought for 300,000 in one area. And then they buy, they buy one or two more houses now for 400,000. Mm. So you have two houses now that, are, that they got sold for 400,000 and then they own another hundred at 300,000, which those two now bring up the value in that area. So that now they can start pumping up the, the values of homes in all in the area for all the homes that they own. So that was one big company that was buying up a bunch of homes, gobbling up inventory on the housing market. And that's what I meant when I said it wasn't just hedge funds. Yes, hedge that's, funds. That's, why, that's why I'm touching on that because you brought that up. I thought, I, I thought I'd shed some light on that. Uh, and, and then hedge funds were also, are also buying up homes like crazy. And currently, in addition to that, Airbnb right now owns more properties in New York City than there are actually... Yeah regular people renters right so when you have here's the thing right so you have this is how i see this playing out at the beginning of the year in january where we reached the top of our market is when the fed started announcing that they were going to start easing back on the stimulus meaning that they were going to stop pumping money into the stock market so that meant that means that there's no more hot air being pumped into the balloon mm -hmm. now the air is going to start being let out so not so obviously the stock market had, that was when it was hot it's at its high and it's dipped about 19% since then that dip has come from a lot of people corporations companies selling mm -hmm. what do they do with that money where's it going to go where are they going to put it 
You got to funnel that. A lot of his bits, a lot of it is being funneled in to the housing market. This is how. This is part of the reason why the housing market has become an asset class because you have a bunch of money that was made from COVID and that big run, and now the market is selling off. People taking profits, and you have to do something with your profits. You can't mm-hmm. just sit on it. Yeah, because you get you'll get taxed on it. You have to roll yeah. it over to another investment. You got to do something with it, and so yeah, I know this from the purchasing and selling of my father's yeah. properties. Like if you don't if you don't put it into something else, the government is coming to take their yeah, they're slice. Com- they're coming to take their they're coming to take their piece of the pie, and so you know why not put it into something that you know it raises in value over time. And what this is doing, it's squeezing appreciates out. Appreciates is the word that I was saying. Yeah, it squeezes out just average regular yes. people trying to purchase homes. So now. Or or rent. Correct. Now, when you have a bunch of big companies buying up a bunch of houses, again, that's taking up the inventory. You have this, you have this supply chain issue where builders can't get supplies fast enough to build houses. So the, at the rate that houses are being bought up, they're being bought up faster than they're being built, which is creating a inventory issue. Yeah. But now, since the government has announced that they're going to start raising rates, and they have over the last six months, the rates went from like. You and know, we're talking th- about interest rates. Interest rates, yes. Okay. The interest rates went up from like you know two, from two and a half percent at one point. You know now they're up to like five and a half percent. Which is, I would consider on the higher end because when we purchase our home. Our interest rate was about four. No, well, we are at three point seven five percent. Yeah, about yeah, four. About, about four. four. But you know what? And when it comes to interest rates, it me, it's a it's a big difference. That's a, Trust qu- that's, me. A, that's a quarter of a point. I I understand yeah, that because yeah. I remember when I fir- bought my first car, my interest rate yeah. was thirteen point seven five because a bitch had no money. And then I remember the next time I bought a car because I had you know. Um, Increase my credit, you mm-hmm. know, and all those things. And my interest rate, I think at that time was like 5.5%. I was like, whoa, yeah. this is the amount of money that had to be paid based on interest because of the difference in my interest rate was substantial. So trust me, I understand yeah. that when you say, but I'm saying the 5% and there, it's a little bit higher than that. Actually, that's high to have yeah. to pay that on a 300 or 400 or $500,000 home. Well, guess a lot what? Of money. And guess what? The, the federal government has two more rate hikes scheduled. And they're there for half a point, they're half a percent each. So we should be in the sixes. We should be in the sixes by the time this is 6 7% by the time this is all said and done. And to me this just is further pushing the middle class to not be a middle class anymore. Yeah, Cuz what's happening now is nobody now people or mortgage applications have slow down correct people are not willing to go out and borrow money to buy homes at the moment because they're they are scared they're scared of, of paying high interest rates funny thing is hang on one second in addition to paying high interest rates there's another part of that that i find alarming which is mm-hmm. the the price that a, a potential home buyer is purchasing a house at Whereas, where what it would have been, let's say five years ago. So, let's say you purchase a home right now and it's assessed at being valued at five hundred thousand dollars, right? And then you purchase that home, and now the market is going to settle, and houses are in your area are going to go kind of back to where Mm -hmm. they were evaluated or the value of them prior to this like increase of or this increase of buying right right? 
So now your $500,000 house is actually not worth $500,000. Right. So now you're like stuck in this place where it's almost like when you purchase a car, every year that you're in that home, you lose. You're depreciating. You're depreciating. Whereas when someone bought a house five, six years ago, they bought at a price where now they're seeing it appreciate. Yeah, they're seeing the appreciation, which is exactly what I was going to touch on. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's okay. and, and, And I just feel like that's going to put people in such a excuse my French but it's gonna put people in such a fucked up situation because people don't live in homes for their entire lives you know at at some point they're gonna wanna get out yeah and it's gonna put people in a predicament where getting out is gonna potentially put them underwater upside down yeah it's gonna put them underwater they're gonna sell it for less than than what they purchased it for a lot of the you know it's sad to say there's (laughs) there's this thing called buyer's remorse going on right now Uh, it's a term that I just became familiar with but I totally understand what the, what it means and i feel bad for the people that are in it and so for for those of you who don't know what buyer's remorse is it's basically people you when you when people and it refers to people who have bought homes within the last six months people who who were part of this this buying frenzy where they were paying 50 60 70 80 100 150 sometimes two hundred thousand dollars over asking price but they had a low interest rate Right. Mm. So that was that to them. They saw that that was their angle. I got a low interest rate. I can afford to pay more. Yada, yada, yada. Now we have, again, what I what I'm calling an inflated housing market. This is just my term. And and when something's inflated at some point, it's going to deflate. So these people who have bought these houses at a 2%, but $200,000 over asking price. Once interest rates go up, home values are going to go down. Yeah. And so these people are not going to see their houses appreciate. appreciate. So with so for for anybody who's out there who's who is looking to buy a home who potentially held back, don't feel left out because you buying a home at a 7% interest rate at a lower at a lower value you're going to be able to see your home appreciate in value. And guess what? If the interest rates drop, you just refinance. Yeah. You refinance and you we lock it. That. You lock. Yeah, of course we did that. You <laughs> refinance. That's what I'm saying. He you, was like, fuck right. Yeah, we did. Of course we did that. And we, we, we and were, we're talking years ago. Yeah. But we years did. ago, but we were fortunate enough to, to be able to see our home appreciate in value. And so I just wanted to kind of like inform our listeners and our viewers that it's not over. Yeah. It's not over. You know, things are things are kind of like in a little sketchy place right now. You know, I wouldn't say run out and go buy a home. Right now is the time where I would think that um you know, you want to start thinking about how to protect yourself and how to position yourself in a in a in a place where if we do actually see a recession, a recession what can someone yeah, do? Yeah, that you did something to prepare for it. You know, and if hey listen, who nobody wants a recession right because in the end you know there's people who really suffer in a recession there's a lot of people who fucking they love recessions because that's that's the time to go shopping for them you know everything's on sale yeah you know everything is so but other people you know yeah the average working middle class person yeah, does you know, not i was my job back in 2008 was affected by a recession i had to get a 10 percent pay cut yeah and then once the business actually started to perform better 
we only received 5% of that back. Oh, I remember this. We never yeah. received our full 10% back. I remember this. Yeah. I felt so fucked from that. Yeah. And that was... um. And that felt like that felt like such a slap in the face, considering how much time and effort I had put into that job mm -hmm. at that time. So I know what it's I know what it feels like to be directly affected from a recession. So that being said, you and I have come up with top five ways to recession proof your finances. Yes. This doesn't mean that they are bulletproof. This doesn't mean that if recession was to happen, that you are going to go unscathed. Right. But these are some steps that we think, Evo and I think, that if you took them, it would give you a little bit more of a cushion if we were to, in fact, see yeah. a recession. You consider it like insurance, right? It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Yeah, right? like, uh, like Aflac. Like Aflac. So, <laughs> so um, let's get into these yeah, top five. Let's, let's hear about it. So our number one recession-proof way to protect your finances if we, in fact, do see a recession is to review your current budget and expenses and the reason why i put this at number five is because i think it's a great starting point yeah of course it's a great starting point because i think sometimes when you are either single or in a family you sometimes are not even visually understanding how you are spending your money yeah and one of the ways that I think you can get like a really great visual representation of how you are spending your money on a day to day basis is by utilizing an app called The Mint. I once upon a time used that app and I found it very helpful because it really got me to understand how I was spending my money monthly, weekly and where it was going. And the reason I say that it's great to see it visually is because then you can say, okay, the money that I'm putting into this potential purchase, I could be putting this elsewhere. And that is the reason why we think it's great for you to review your budget and review your expenses because then you could find ways to then possibly save money. Yeah, figure out how to trim the fat. Correct. So when you use this tool, mint.com, it does something for you. You can... Um, Add on your bank account, your credit cards, all of the ways that you spend money. It will link to this account. And once it starts to get a good amount of data of how you are spending, it starts to create these charts for you. Mm. And when I tell you that these charts sometimes, I remember looking at that chart when I worked at Mac Cosmetics. The amount of fucking money that I spent on Starbucks was alarming to me yeah i was spending almost 200 dollars a month on starbucks not even realizing it no because i was like oh i'm just gonna go on break i'm just gonna get and a it's coffee just like six dollars here you know four dollars there you know that's my congestion yeah. um um creeping up yeah so i re immediately was like wow this is unnecessary i need to find ways to trim the fat i needed to you know revisit how i was spending that money and that's why i thought the mint was such a great tool because it puts it into these categories and there are even ways in that app you can do it on the desktop you could do it on your phone there are even ways on that app that there are categories that maybe don't immediately fall into something that you can create them and mm -hmm. it it refines it so the more that you use it the algorithm starts to understand your purchasing and expenses habits more and more and it will really curate this visual representation of how your money's being spent and i think it's fantastic if you were trying to say 
where can I put some money to save for a rainy day? And you, and you still use that up to this day, right? Yeah. And sometimes I log in and I'm like, oh, man, how much money did yeah. I spend in Zara? So it ended up actually <laughs> being more than just a way for you to analyze your finances. You started to see all these other benefits that it had and how you could utilize those to manage yeah. your finances. And it became part of your everyday everyday um, tool to manage yeah. the way you spend money so the other app that i really enjoy using that i also wanted to make a quick recommendation to is because i said your budget and your expenses so part of everyday expenses is bills you know you just your overall bill so i use this app called prism and it's to pay all of my bills and a lot of people are just like, oh, I pay my bills online. I do the same thing. I have just linked it through Prism. And the reason why I've done that is because Prism does the same thing for you. It tracks your bill spending. Mm. So it can give you like an average. So like on average, you're spending this amount of money on gas. You're spending this amount of money on electricity. It really tracks it for you. And what's great about that is because then you can say, on average, I spend this amount on X amount of bills. I can budget accordingly for this expense. Right. It helps you really refine your overall spending. So those are two apps that I found I find very useful when it comes to managing your finances. So that is number five. Review your your budgets and your expenses. I think that's like you should start there. And if you're a couple... You got to do it together if you're managing your finances together. Yeah, it's, you know, I can't stress how important. Excuse me. I can't stress how important it is to to do that first mm -hmm. so that you get a really like a bird's eye view of what it is that you're spending. Sometimes you may not you may think that you're doing everything that you're spending is necessary mm -hmm. until you see it laid out in front of you and then you compare all of them together or prioritize them and see that one of those or two of those really aren't as much as a priority as you thought they were now that you're laying them out next to all of the yeah. actual core priorities and that's makes it a lot easier to make the decision to say you know now that i'm looking at this next to that that really is not as important as i thought it was yeah you know? that is exactly what i mean when you see it visually how yeah. your money's being spent because it is so easy just to swipe your fucking card or apple pay that bitch mm -hmm. and you don't even think none the wiser you get another paycheck and you're off running yeah. so yeah. but when you see it visually especially when it's in colors <laughs> and the big red part of the slice of the pie is yeah. all shopping they know how to make it they know how to make it look scary yeah so um and by the way we are not sell and if you want to get rid of it and get rid of it fast, the best way to do that is to see kind of what other people are selling these items kind of for and, you know, undercut them. You yeah, know? absolutely. And I it could even be by like a couple yeah. of dollars. I had a ton of watches that I had accumulated over the years that once I got my Apple watch, them shit started to collect dust. I sold each of these watches significantly under what I paid for them. But they were years old. Right. But they were doing nothing. They were serving no purpose for me in my home. They were just collecting dust. I sold every single one of them and got like $175 that I then put into a savings account. Mm -hmm. And that is the end goal. The end goal is if you're trying to recession-proof your, your funds, your finances, is that you want to create some sort of cushion for yourself financially. Yeah. And a lot of people are running right now 
on very tight budgets. So this is a way that you can find things around your home or your apartment that are not serving you any purpose or giving you any joy that could put some money in a reserve for you. Whether it be a couple of dollars or, you know, maybe a little bit more than that, depending on what it is that you have, this can always be helpful for you. I don't really see the downside in it. The only thing I will say, because if I'm going to be 100% realistic in it, is that it can be a little bit time consuming. The ways that I recommend to do it is to always do it locally where the buyer can pick up from you very yeah. easily or you can do the transaction in a safe space. I don't really recommend shipping unless it's a, a, a large thing that you're willing to put in that time for the purchase price. But if it's something small to have to ship it to go to the post office, that may not be worth the amount of money that you're looking to sell yeah. it for. So I like to do a lot of local buys. It does kind of close in the radius of possible buyers but i will say that i i personally haven't had any problems and i've even sold things like um old books and you know um educational things that my daughter has used that she's no longer using anymore and i had no problem selling these items mm -hmm. and then just putting that money into a savings account yeah i feel like if you haven't done it yet um Definitely try to at least sell one item because I feel mm -hmm. like that once you've sold one item, you kind of like gain some confidence on like, oh, wow, you know what? People do actually, you know, I can't really do this, you know, and yeah, it definitely gets the ball rolling. Yeah, for sure. You kind of build that confidence in selling things. You're like, oh, this wasn't as hard as I thought it was. Yeah, I sell tons of stuff on Facebook Marketplace. Yeah, you definitely do. And who got you doing that? You did. Yeah, because I'd be like, ew, just put it on Facebook Market. Like you are. And the best part about selling is, is once you start to create a kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for yourself? Like a reputation, a selling reputation yeah. where people will see that you are an avid seller with a good reputation. Yeah. They'll be more willing to buy for you. Now, I have used other platforms. I've used eBay. I've used um, LetGo. I've used OfferUp. I've even used Poshmark. And that's where I sold a lot of the watches. I recommend Poshmark for people that are looking to sell or unwanted bags, clothing, coats, jewelry. Uh, I feel like Poshmark tends, it is for that kind of market. Mm -hmm. There are other places that you can sell on, you know, unwanted clothing and accessories. I'm just not familiar with them, so I can't make it a recommendation. But look into it because I'm more than certain that there's many out there. Poshmark does take a small percentage, but it's it's minimal. And honestly, there is shipping involved. You can do local, but um, a lot of times with the things that I'm selling equates to the time. At the end of the day, if it's something that you haven't touched for six months, all right, then it's it's actually worthless. It's worth nothing. Yeah. So the fact that you put in a little bit of time to list it, sold it on a platform that took a small commission, you've now taken something that's worthless and made it worth something. Yeah. And you're potentially preparing yourself for something ahead that's going to give you a bit of a cushion if you need it. And if it turns out that you don't need it, then you have a leg up on some savings. You have a leg up on now using that as you know, and taking advantage of an opportunity for something to maybe grow that in another way, invest it in, 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 in some way or another. There are very easy ways to do that. Yeah. You're um, actually kind of hitting on yeah, that. Which I'm sure you're, you were, I think you're going to get into. Um, and the one thing that I just want to add, and then I'm going to move on because you you kind of you kind of hit on my next recommendation, <laughs> which is investing. Yeah. One of the things that I can tell you about 
one of the things that I can tell you that happens when you start to sell unwanted or unused things in your home, you start to reevaluate again how you spend your money. Because you look at an item and you go, man, I bought this and I remember being so excited about this item. And now it's sitting in my house serving me no purpose. And yeah. I'm about to sell it for maybe two to three times from what I purchased it for. And I'm I'm losing kind of either way in a sense, you know, because I'm losing out on the value of it, right. which is what I purchased it for. And I'm losing because now I have this thing just sitting around my house. It really makes you reconsider how you spend your money in the future because you're like, ooh, Think about all those things that I just sold that were just sitting around my house. Do I want to bring more of these items into my home? And I again, that's the end goal, kind of like really looking at your finances, like right. trying to use money smart so that you're building a reserve just in case of recession. So number three, recommendation of how you can make your, your financials a recession-proof, evil kind of hit on it already, is investing. We don't mean the type of investing that evil likes to do. <laughs> um, we mean on a small scale, something yeah. to kind of get your feet wet, you know. Uh, so evil likes the app Acorn. I myself have never used it. I'm a, I'm I'm aware of it. I understand how Acorn works. You can start investing with small amounts of money, and I'm talking about five, ten dollars, where this app will help you take these small amounts that you put and diversify it so that you can make small returns on your investment but still accruing some sort of return yeah, as so, a whole. So you can you can do one of two things. You can you can take the money that you've made by selling things around your house mm -hmm. and deposit it into your Acorn account. Once you open up an Acorn account you create a you create a profile like you do with any account that you download, mm -hmm. and then it asks you a series of questions that you answer to the best of your ability, which is then gonna I gonna categorize you as an investor and your risk tolerance. You know mm. how how risky of investments do you want to take? So then you allocate that money to that to that um, that risk profile, and mm -hmm. it di and Acorn diversifies that money for you across a number of different um, stocks. Now, in addition, you can hook up Acorns to your to Acorn. your Acorn to your debit card, and every time you buy something, it rolls over the change in your mm. card, and it invests that into your into your uh, your profile, and so it start it adds you know pennies, quarters, nickels, dimes. So these Acorns, Acorns, it adds them to your investment profile and grows your portfolio slowly over time. And this is how your money can make you money. This is how your money can make you money. Now, the opportunity that really I think is interesting at what, at what we have lying ahead of us is that if we do go into a recession, stepping into an investment app like Acorn really puts you at the bottom of these runs that we end up having, right? These are the times where nobody wants to know anything about investing. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to invest when the market's on fire and everybody's making money and, you know, companies are making headlines. Yeah, and because people want to follow a trend. They want to follow a trend, right? But it's, it's at those times where everything is so discounted, when nobody wants it, is when the opportunity really lies. And if you got a couple bucks in your Acorn account, you yeah. could you could make some moves. Yeah, and so getting in at that point and slowly putting 
change into that portfolio as the stock market goes up and down you end up buying at so many different points of the up and down that your entry level becomes an average of the whole market mm -hmm. and you're always going to be in the best position as long as you get in in a good spot yeah and that's why we're recommending it because you could start off with very little yeah um, you could start we, off with nothing yeah and you could just start doing change yeah and i think that that is great for someone just to kind of get an understanding of how the market works and yes. how they can start making small investments and how their their money their small amount of money can make money for them and then in hopes of adding to that fucking reserve yeah. you know because that is again ladies and gentlemen that is the end goal to put money hopefully six months out for you that if something does happen yeah. you and your family or just you yourself have a cushion where you're just not like fuck what am i gonna do because i myself know that feeling back in 2008 when they cut my salary by 10 percent and i had to readjust and i was a mother with two children yeah that type of thing and if, if i would have acquired some of that knowledge back then you know we're talking we're talking more than 10 years ago, but my point is, is that I didn't have anyone telling me, hey, if you just take a few dollars, you know, except for Sarah McLaughlin, you know, she was telling me just for a few dollars a day, <laughs> but I would have appreciated something that I felt was more approachable and yeah. more feasible because when some of the times I watch you do what you do, I'm, my eyes like open so wide because it seems so daunting and I feel like Acorns makes it. Yeah, it is. It, it makes it very simple. And the important thing to to note is that right now is the time to start trying to accumulate that extra saving. Right now is the time that you want to start looking through your stuff and see what you can get rid of that's just lying around um, for, for cash so that you can start putting it away. Because in a recession, it's going to be quite challenging to try to sell something to somebody oh, else yeah. nobody's you know, gonna be wanting to buy shit people are not gonna be wanting to buy anything if it's not necessary so if you're listening don't wait just do yourself a favor go through your house go through your stuff take a look around things that are not you haven't been used for a long time put them out there 10 20 30 dollars you know if you listen i've even sold things for five dollars yeah yeah i've done it i've done i've and some of the ways that I think is very attractive is when you bundle things. I like to bundle things. Yeah. And when I bundle things, boy, they they go. I'm just like, here, here are these books with this book holder or something like that. Um, it's It makes it more attractive to yeah. the seller. And it, it, it allows me to stand out in a market where everyone is maybe selling a book, if you get what I'm yeah. saying. At the end of the day, I mean, anything anything is better than nothing. It's... it's Correct. It, I can't imagine someone being in a position where we do end up in a recession, they end up getting their hours cut back or they lose their job because people are not spending money. So companies don't feel the need to have such a heavy staff. Correct. It's giving so many, so many people, people so many hours, they start cutting back and then, you know, a person ends up being home with less income and is now like, damn, I come out and do something. You know, maybe, maybe what you have around your house is not a lot, but it's better than nothing, you know, yeah. at a time when you need it to have an extra two, three, four, five hundred dollars that you hustled up is, you know, it's going to it's going to mean something at that point in yeah. time, you know. So the next one that we're going to make a recommendation now, I'm you know, this is going to be number four. Um, I'm sorry, number two. I apologize. Our number two ways that you can like somewhat re recession proof your your funds is to. 
and this may not seem like the most ideal thing, so there's a little bit of a strategy behind it, is to pay off high interest credit cards. Because you're like, Gina, Evo, you just told me to save all this fucking money. Now yeah. you want me to pay off my credit cards? No. Um, we don't want you to go gun-ho and go crazy and just start, you know, taking all that money that we're trying to advise you to put into a, um, a reserve. The strategy is, is that you start at the smallest amount. So if you... I don't know what type of credit cards everyone has, but I feel like if you have credit cards, you may have more than one. And let's say you have a store credit card because I have one of those. Let's say you have a Macy's credit card and, you know, you have a smaller balance on that one. So let's start with the ones that are smaller balances and you just target those cards first or that card first. One at a time, ladies and gentlemen, you don't try to spread this money out and you start paying down that card and once you get that card to either very low or zero, you then can take the dollars that you were putting solely into that card. Now you have maybe $5 more to put onto the next card. I don't know if people understand how that can benefit you when you have one less bill to pay. Now yeah. you could focus a little bit of your money on the other bills that yeah. you have that are maybe larger amounts. Yeah, it creates like a domino effect where... You know, from what if, if I'm listening to you say this correctly, if you have five cards that you're paying off, and you know the smallest balance you're paying ten dollars, and the next one you're paying twenty, and the next one you're paying thirty, and the last one you're paying fifty, if you pay the ten dollar one off early, then you take that ten dollars and apply it to the one that you're paying twenty dollars for, and mm-hmm. now you're paying thirty dollars to that one. Yeah. And then once you get that one paid down, then you take those thirty, add it to the one that you're paying forty, and now you're paying seventy dollars. Yeah. To that one. And then you take that one and you and it really like starts to once it starts to like take traction, it really starts to snowball effect. And the idea is obviously to pay down debt. So you, you put that together with, you know, selling items in your house, paying down your debt. You now have an income of money that you created out of nothing of things laying around your house. And now you have extra money because you've paid down your debt in addition to reviewing your budget and your expenses and if you've looked at it where you could trim some of the fat maybe you have a few extra dollars that you can put into this maybe you accumulated some money in your acorns app yeah your acorn account where you've got a few extra bucks that you could put to that card that you didn't have before and we're not telling you to take all of that money and focus it on there but maybe just a few more dollars to try to get rid of that debt so that you have more funds for yourself yeah and it doesn't sound like you know when you when when, like we're saying these things i know it may not sound like much if you think about them individually but if you're able to do them all collectively the power that they have all together you know cutting back on some expenses paying down your debt saving you know selling things to 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 bring in some money those three investing yeah those those three alone um are like combined are just going to put you in a better place if you don't think that a couple of dollars a week or a month equates to a lot go look at all the convenience fees that you've paid Mm -hmm. i did that the other day um when we pay our gas bill i pay it online and they charge me two dollars for convenience fees so i did the math really quick and we've you know, lived in our home for X amount of time. I'm not going to give the exact number, but we lived in our house for X amount of time plus the $2. And you do that over time. These people have gotten like over $500 from me. So it starts out very small, but you can blink. And before you know it, it's a lot more than you ever anticipated. And those are those dollars that sometimes I'm talking about that you don't even realize are going where they're going. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
So that's why I was talking about like reviewing your expenses and your budget because mm-hmm. you will then it will give you a re- visual representation of like how your money is actually being spent. Uh, so to wrap it up, wrap that shit up, B. The last recommendation that Evo and I would like to make to you for our top five is, yo, ladies and gentlemen, do not panic. <laughs> we are <laughs> yes. not trying to instill panic in you. Absolutely. And you think that after you finish listening to this podcast, you're like, Evo and Gina said that fucking recession's coming. I got to sell all my acorns. <laughs> <laughs> And I need to like never like go out to li- eat, liquidate di- everything in my house. My, my girlfriends anymore. Yeah. We're asking you to make small changes that maybe in turn be a big change for you in the long run. Because how evil likes to say it's better to it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Exactly. So. And this is coming from a couple that when I tell you evil and I started out with nada, nada. Okay. Sleeping on a futon, bitch. That's the truth. Two of us on a futon. (laughs) (laughs) Those are rough times, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, we're speaking from uh, a journey and the small changes that we made in our lives. And I just wanted to share that. So don't panic. But like, you know, make some changes. And and I think that these changes will benefit you in the end. Again, we are not financial advisors, but we would just like to share some things that we have learned along the way. I mean, you know, listen, markets are going to go up and down recessions are going to come and go this you know if for for those who don't know the history of the market i mean it literally corrects every eight years or something like that i don't that. like that word i know you don't i don't think it's a correction it's, it's, to me a correction is like when you like mistype a word and then like you like correct the word it's not a correction it's like that shit tanks well, they so it is a cor- it's a correction because at some point the market becomes detached for from what the true value of it is. I get what There's you're saying. Something happens that starts to really like inject the market and the value of it becomes unrealistic. It's not, so it needs to correct to the true value. Mm. And that's what happens. So right now, it's going to be interesting to find out where the true value is right now. I mean, where where is this, where is this going to stop and at some point reverse and start going back up and, you know, and tell us where the actual market true value is and how much of it actually was inflated. Mm. Well, I hope that this uh, episode was informative and helpful. If not, you can tell us to go fuck ourselves. I don't really know. But um, I enjoyed myself. And as always, Evil, this was a pleasure. So, ladies and gentlemen, until next Friday, if Gina don't die, (laughs) peace out. Peace out.